was it needed to be done. But uh, Acts 17, where where has Paul just come from? In Acts 18, he's going to arrive in Corinth. But where has he just come from? Athens. He's just come from Athens. What happened in Athens? Come across the people that were serving huh? all these gods. He did? And what, what did he do? What what was the event that took place in <coughs> Athens? Yeah, he got to he got to speak and debate in the Areopagus, right? And so he was all the philosophers, all the whatever, and and how did that turn out for him? Did they all fall down and accept Jesus? No, no. he just kind of left. He, he just kind of yeah. When he started talking about the resurrection, they kind of laughed him off the laughed him off stage. It did say that some believed, so they, he did have. Some response, but it also says that many of them mocked. Many of them wanted to hear more. He had lots of different responses, and so uh, he leaves. Uh, he le- he did have some to believe there in Athens, and so he leaves Athens. Remember, where is where is Timothy and Silas in all this? The whole time he's at Athens, you remember where they were. He left them in. Uh, yes, it was Macedonia. Yeah, Philippi. They're in Macedonia. He left them in Macedonia. And so Paul went to Athens. We talked about him. It might not have been a scheduled stop. He just there in Athens and, you know, and all that happened. And so now he's going to move on to Corinth. Um, verse 1 says, and these, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontus, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came unto them. Now, Corinth was a city that was well known for its sin. It was, it was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Corinth was in in classical Greek, ancient Greek. Uh, they used a word called to Corinthianize people, and that basically means to Corinthianize uh, to is sexual immorality. They had uh, labels for Corinthian companions, which meant prostitute. You know, and so they, they were well known for this for this city. So. They were well known for the debauchery that was going on in the city. It was like a commercial hub. It was had two ports that were associated with the city. So people were coming and going, and there was commerce, all kind of different languages being spoke, all kind of different. I mean, you can imagine sailors getting off the boat, and, you know, there you are in Corinth, and what all went on in Corinth. And so Paul comes to Corinth, and he's here alone. He's here by himself. Uh, his companions are not with him. Nobody. There's no church there. There's no no nothing. He's there by himself. So he goes to preach the gospel the same way he's always done. Starts in the synagogue, but he he um, he he has to work for a living. He has to actually uh, he has to actually make money to eat in order to preach the gospel. So he joins with these this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were, uh, they were actually Jews that were run out of Italy. And uh, in 49 AD, um, Claudius, the Emperor Claudius, he forced all the Jews to leave Rome because there was always uh, disturbances, always riots, always going on. All of these things about, you know, the Christians had, uh, there was a Christian presence that had begun in Rome and the church started in Rome. And then the Jews were you're always up in arms about them teaching the same thing. And you're going to see this come into play as we go out the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, w- most often what would happen was the Jews were the only people 
in the ancient world that were exempt from worshiping the way the Romans worshiped. Now, the Romans didn't care who you worshiped. They didn't care what kind of culture you had. They didn't care what kind of gods you worshiped. But you needed to make sure that you added the Roman gods. You need to make sure you added the Caesars. There was called imperial worship. The dead Caesars were worshiped as God. So by this time, by 49, uh, Claudius was the emperor. You had Tiberius who was dead. You had Augustus who was dead. You had Julius Caesar who was dead. They were worshiped as, as gods. And uh, to, this was a political thing. So you can imagine uh, if you refused to do so, you were... Um, you are in political trouble. And to refuse to worship the gods of the city, whatever city you were in, um, I, I don't know how to explain it best, but it was almost like it was your civic duty. You know, if you refuse to, if, um, like for instance, Corinth, in Corinth, the, the, the big deity in Corinth, Corinth was, uh, uh, what's the goddess of, that's the goddess of love. Just Aphrodite. Aphrodite, yeah, Aphrodite. So that was they had feasts, they had festivals, they had civic parades and 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 ceremonies, uh, and it was the goddess that watched over the city. So if you said I refuse to worship that goddess because she's not real, whatever you were saying, basically, you know, I don't care anything about the city. The city can, you know, we're haters of humanity. We don't care about you know all the civic stuff, all the all the whatever. And uh, the Romans didn't like that. The Romans wanted peace, they wanted harmony, they wanted no riots, they wanted no nothing. And so what was, what was going on when Christians would come, when a church would rise up in a city, when Paul would preach and, you know, churches were being born in different cities, um, for the most part, people thought, <clears throat> people thought that Christians were just a sect of Jews. They thought, because it started as, as Jewish people, they thought this was just another sect of Jewish people. And so they kind of enjoyed a little freedom to be exempt. The Jews were exempt from a lot of this stuff because they had just thrown so many fits and riots over the years, over the centuries, that uh, Rome kind of allowed them to do their thing. But when, when the Jews themselves rose up and said, hey, these Christians aren't of us, that's a new thing. Then Rome started taking notice. We're going to see it here. The Jews are going to rise up in Corinth and they're going to bring Paul to the proconsul here and they're going to say, look, you know, he's breaking the law. He's not one of us. And so I said all that to say that uh, that uh, Paul, what was I saying when I started all that? He was talking about him being by himself and supporting himself. Yeah, he was he was by himself. He was supporting himself. He was, uh, he was going to do whatever it took in order to preach the gospel. Now, I want you to think about, think about what's going on here. He came from Athens, standing at the highest point in Athens, debating with the highest philosophers in Athens, uh, the center of cultural philosophy and whatever, and he went to this sin-rich city where he is sweating, he's a tent maker. I hadn't even read that yet. Let's read it. It says, And because he was of the same craft, the same job, he abode with them. Priscilla, oh, I remember what happened. I was telling you all that stuff about Rome and the Jews and all that. That is why Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome. He said, I'm, I've had enough of all this rioting, had enough of all this stuff. I want all y'all gone. And that's why in 49 AD, all the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And it says Priscilla and Aquila were part of these people that were booted out of Rome. And Paul finds them in Corinth. 
And it says, and because he was of the same craft, he was the same job, he abode with them and wrought, and wrought for by their occupation, they were tent makers. He worked. He worked with them. Now, tent makers is kind of general. It could have been that they were leather workers, not really sure. But he was of the same occupation of them, and he was willing to do whatever it took in order to preach the gospel. It says, verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. He was willing to do whatever it took. Now, up until this point, up until this point, Paul has, man, he is, uh, he, he's gone through a lot. He's been persecuted, he's been beaten, he's been in prison, he's been uh, beaten with rods, he's been stoned, left for dead. He's been, I mean, in every single city that he's gone into, every single one, without exception, he has either been run out, or he has been physically harmed, or he has been imprisoned. One of the three things. In every single city that he's entered into, every single city that he's brought the gospel. <clears throat> now, we often talk when we read those stories about, hey, you know, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to... Be persecuted, need to be ready to be in prison, need to be ready to whatever. A lot of times we don't, we don't realize the fact that you also need to be ready just to work, to toil for the gospel. Sometimes, all the time, the gospel is uh, ministry in itself. And when I say ministry, I'm not talking about preachers or whatever. I'm talking about everybody has a ministry. All believers have a ministry of one form or another. It's, it's a work. I mean, it's hard work. It's hard work. It's frustrating work. It's... Uh, you know, it's, um, I can look around, uh, I've been working with youth for, since 2003, what is that, 13 years? Um, and in that time, I have seen people that work with youth in different churches come and go and come and go and come and go and come and go. <clears throat> I've had youth workers that worked with me in the youth <clears throat> that come and go and come and go and come and go. You know, if you're, I mean, just looking around the church, you can remember people that have been here working and doing and exerting. And now it's not that, not that they went somewhere else to work. It's just that there's nothing now. You know, if you've gone to this church and then went to the other church to work, that's a whole different thing. But a lot of people aren't, we kind of romanticize this ministry thing, don't we? We kind of romant, we even romanticize being persecuted, you know. Um, it's not, sometimes it's not real glorious and it's not real, it's not real, let's face it, it's not real fun. I can only imagine what Paul was thinking as he, you know, he didn't have no money to eat. He didn't have no nothing. So he had to, he had to work. And while he was working there toiling, uh, he devoted himself to preaching in the synagogues and trying to win the Jews and the Greeks. And it's going to say here that his two companions from Macedonia are going to come. And at that point, then he's going to stop working because they're going to, I'm going to show you that they, they bring funds from Macedonia for him to be able to devote himself full time to uh, the ministry. But at this point, and this is not just a matter of days, probably a matter of months, he is, he is devoted himself to doing whatever it takes. However, it, however I have to survive in order to preach the gospel, I'm going to work, I'm going to toil, I'm going to labor, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done in order for me to be able to 
minister, in order to, for me to be able to seek after the kingdom of God. He's going to persevere through all of this stuff. He persevered through persecution, beatings, imprisonments, all those things. He's also going to persevere through the mundane, day-to-day activities of the ministry. Does that? I don't know if that speaks to y'all like it speaks to me, but sometimes, sometimes I get to thinking, am I even doing any good? I mean, is this even... Is, do I need to change my tactic? Am, am I not, you know, whatever? Uh, and it's it's persevering through the day to day. You know, it's if um, what's a good way to explain it? What am I trying to say, Dana? <clears throat> well, you better get get on it. <laughs> if. Uh, We don't mind sacrificing for glory. Because you want to. If we receive glory. You start out working or helping or doing ministry, whatever, and you're expecting glorification, which in turn turns out to be hard. Everything gets harder, feelings get hurt, you don't, people don't accept you the way you want, and so then you want to give up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's exactly exactly right. Yeah, and when when you say reward, I mean you're you're exactly saying what I'm thinking. When you say reward, you're not just we're not just talking about cash or pats on the back or or anything like that. I'm just talking about people invest themselves into the work, hoping to get satisfaction out of the work, but satisfaction don't come from the work. It comes from Jesus, you know, and so when you when you and, and this is not something I'm pointing them and us. I mean, I can see this proclivity in my own heart as well. When you when you put yourself to the work, to the toil of la- the labor of ministry, not professional ministry. I'm talking about all believers are working for the kingdom of God in some way. When you put yourself to the toil, when you put yourself to the labor, um, we tend to think, you know, well, I, I should get something out of that. Not money, not, you know, I don't even need praise, don't need people to tell me how awesome I am. You're just talking about some satisfaction, you know, some, some, some happiness, some whatever. And I'm sorry, but the only thing that comes from is your relationship with Christ. And so if you expect that, if you expect that in the toil, in the work, you're always going to be, you're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be because, I mean, think about what Paul has been through. He has, he has done more up to this point than any missionary, any believer that we know of here in written about. He's gone from city to city to city. And yes, he's planted some churches. Yes, he is. Uh, some converts have been made. Yes, you can see, absolutely see Jesus working throughout the kingdom to grow his kingdom and build his church. But dang, he has taken a beating several times, been placed in prison several times. He has been, I mean, he's been physically tormented by by people, by these people that rise up against him, mainly Jewish people because basically he'd always start in the synagogue and he was basically winning people out of the synagogue. And so everywhere he went, people wanted to kill him. Everywhere he went, people hated him. Everywhere he went... And I want you to see that in this section, you're going to get a glimpse of Paul 
being a little frustrated with the whole thing. God's going to come to him in a vision and he's going to say, look, you've you got to stop being afraid. You've got to stop being silent and you've got to continue to speak. And he's going to say, I'm going to protect you in this city. We'll see that as we get to it. But... Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't really see that because when I hear when I think frustrated, I think, "Oh, I'm done doing this." You know, where I see him more as of, you know, my heart has been broken so many times. My feelings are, and I've physically been hurt enough. Wall up. Yeah. You know? Well, the reason I say frustrated was, I guess, probably not. I mean, he's taken beatings before, and so, and he said before, you know, I'm. Oh, I'm ready to die, whatever. You know, he says, I'd rather go on. You know, so... Do you know about how old he was? I don't. I really don't. See, I tried to find that. That's when I sent you that text that night that I had a question. That was my question. Because I haven't been able to find anything. Yeah. Well, he was uh, a younger man. A younger man. I, we We don't know, so I can't say for sure but he was a younger man when Stephen was stoned to death and uh, it has been it's been a lot of years since then even now I mean you read Acts and you think like Monday this happens Tuesday but it's years it's years and years gone by I don't know how old he was but I know what year it was uh, Gallio who we're going to talk about here he was the proconsul of Corinth for one year from 51 to 52 and we've got inscriptions that have that that have been archaeologically found so it was right here between 51 and 52 AD that Paul was in Corinth we do know that but I don't really know how old he was I sure don't um, but he I say frustrated Jennifer because I can just see him I mean you've taken beatings you've been in jail you've done all these things and I just see in his in his demeanor here, and, and I might be reading a little too much into it. You decide. We'll read it. And you, but I see him going. Oh, here we go again. You know, same old thing, different city. Here we go again. And that's why God gives him this promise in this city, and then God fulfills that promise in this city. Paul doesn't even have to say a word in his own defense, and he definitely does not get hurt or anything in this city. It's really miraculous seeing that he has been persecuted and beaten in every city except this one and this was the worst city that he's been to so it's really neat to watch how God is going to move here but the, the first thing you need to see is that Paul persevered no matter what he persevered in the beatings and the persecutions and all that but he also persevered in the mundane working day after day after day after day and then it says his companions arrived, Silas and Timothy. It says, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul, Philippi is in Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified, pressed in the spirit, he was devoted and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. What this is saying that you might not get from, from uh, the translation as it stands is that he decided to devote himself fully to the ministry. Now, we, he was able to quit doing the tent making when Timothy and Silas arrived. Now, 
He, somebody turn in your Bible, read to... I'll just do it. In 2 Corinthians 11, this is the letter. Remember, he's in Corinth. He didn't write this letter from Corinth, but he, later he wrote it to Corinth. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, he says... He says, uh, talking to the Corinthians, he says, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. He said, I, I work for my own stuff. He says, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied it. And in all things I kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So that tells us when, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, they brought funds for him to be able to just concentrate on the ministry. You read at the end of the Philippian letter, uh, the, chapter 4, or chapter 5, the very last chapter of Philippians he said when I was when I was uh, when I went to uh, when I went to he didn't say Corinth I forgot the region but when I went there he said you are the only church of Macedonia that contributed to my need and so he said and that's when he says my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory and so what he says what happens here is the the friends came they brought funds from Macedonia he's able to stop working uh, as a tent maker in order to concentrate on the ministry, but I want you to see that he was willing to go on daily, day after day after day after day, working and slaving as a tent maker, leather worker, whatever it was, in order to be able to preach the gospel. And when the time came for God opened up a door, the Macedonian churches brought him these funds. He was able to. Uh, he was able to let off of the tent making and focus one hundred percent on the gospel. And so. He goes even further. He goes, devotes himself to the preaching to the Jews in the synagogues. And then, of course, you know what's going to happen. It says, verse 6 says, And when they opposed themselves, they themselves opposed him and blasphemed. They blasphemed the gospel. He shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. I am hence, From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. Now, that is the one thing that always made the Jewish people mad. Because he was basically preaching the fulfillment of what? The covenant. The covenant that was given to Israel. And he says, you know what? Your blood be on your own hands. He shook out it. Why do you think he shook out his garment? Anybody know? Yeah, it was, it was even more though. I mean, it was like... My, yeah, that's, that's what he was saying. But it was like, y'all have... Y'all are even worse for me to do my just my feet. I'm going to do my whole garment. The, the idea of Jesus saying, you know, if you go to somebody and they don't accept it, shake the dust off your feet. That, that idea comes from a Jewish practice when they would leave the country, leave the region, go into Gentile lands. Before they come back into the country, they would dust off the Gentile, Gentile dust off their feet uh, so they wouldn't corrupt the, you know, corrupt the Holy Land or whatever. And Jesus was saying, when you go and they, they don't receive you, you just you dust that feet off and, and you go on. And Paul says, you know what? I'm done with y'all. He shakes his garment and says, look, your blood's on your own hands. I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, this doesn't mean that he won't ever evangelize Jewish people again. You're going to see the next city he goes to is Ephesus, and he's going to go right back into the synagogue in Ephesus and start again. Uh, but what he's saying is these Corinthian, these Corinthian Jews, uh, they have blasphemed and rejected him. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go. Now, Paul is, Paul is, he is the man. He is the Batman of the ancient world, for sure. Because he doesn't go across town and set up a new worship center. He sets it up next door. 
next door to the synagogue. He says, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named, named Justice. One that, that was his last name. Titius Justice is his name. One that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. It was right next door. So, he didn't go across town to set up the church, the worship center. He went right next door. He says, you know what? I'm done with y'all. And right next door set up the building that would be the church in this guy's house. And so you can imagine people going to the synagogue. I can imagine. And them saying, you know, have you heard what Paul's done? I mean, he's across town checking out. No, he's right next door. So it couldn't be like, it wouldn't be like, Hey, do you want to go see what Paul's got going over there at the new church? You know, we'll just skip out of synagogue. This, this, it's been Saturday then. We'll skip out of synagogue. We'll go over there. They won't miss us. It'll be, no, no. That, they'd watch, they'd see you walking in the doors right next door. They would, you would have to come right past the synagogue in order to come in, into Paul's deal. And so you can imagine, can you imagine the added insult to injury that this would have done? Not only did he, say that he was not going he was preaching the covenant of of God to the Gentiles but he set up shop right next door and then on top of all that the very next verse says the president of the synagogue the ruler of the synagogue actually was converted and became part of Paul's church it says uh in 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 verse 8 it says in Chris what said in your face that's right and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he was the one in charge. He was the man. He was the mouthpiece for the Jewish community here in Corinth. The, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, I think it's verse 14, Paul mentions, he says, the only ones I baptized there in Corinth was, was Crispus and his household. That's the only ones I baptized. So you can see his name also in 1 Corinthians. But you can imagine tempers were, were starting to boil over. I mean, you can only imagine what they thought. Okay, Paul has shaken off his garments. He told us, forget the, you know, forget he's going to the Gentiles. Then he sets up shop right next door. And not only that, the guy who is the most, who is the, the leader of the synagogue also is converted and goes. So you can see the tempers. They're getting high. And I, this is where I imagine Paul knows that this is not going to, they're not going to take this line down. In every city that he's been to, he's been beaten. And it's always, it's usually at the hand, it's either, it, it's all, sometimes at the hand of the Romans, sometimes at the hand of the Jews, but it's always at the instigation uh, of the Jewish community of synagogue when they reject the gospel. And so he knows that they're not going to take it lying down. He can, he can tell what's coming. He's been through this before in several cities. What's coming now is they're going to either turn me over to the, the Romans and they're going to imprison me like they did in Philippi, or they're just going to come out and start beating folks like they did in uh, in Lystra and Iconium and all those other cities it, it, it's just not going to end up good for me now if you're Paul what are you thinking right about now right about now it's about time for me to get out of Dodge I got a lot of converts here a lot of Corinthians have been converted you know even got Crispus this high ruler of the synagogue converted there's a new church here it started They're, they'll be able to handle things I'm gonna just move on to the next city that way I won't have to worry about you know what's coming next he knows what's coming next and God appears to him and stops him from doing just that it says in uh, in verse 9 let's just read 9 and 10 
It says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. So God comes to him and he says, Look, the 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 construction in, in the Greek, we, we say, don't be afraid. It almost sounds like, you know, hey, don't worry about it. But what he's saying is stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Don't be fearful. And so Paul tells the Corinthians in the Corinthian letter, he said, when I came to you, I came in fear and much trembling. You know, I came and, and all this was going on. God says, stop being afraid. Don't be silent. Don't run off. Don't leave. You stay right where you're at. You keep on speaking and God gives him a promise. Nobody in this city is going to hurt you. And the reason nobody's going to hurt you because I am with you. And I have many people in this city. They need to hear what you've got to say. Now, can you, can you and I take this promise to mean that when we go to preach the gospel, nothing's ever bad going to happen? No. Why? You're right, but why? Yeah, it was Paul, not only to Paul specifically, but it was to Paul specifically in this city. Because he, he got the boot many times before, and before Acts is over, he's going to get it again. He's going to get it many times again. But it was right here in this place. Now, what does that tell you? I mean, think about, uh, especially our conversation last week. God has the power to say... In this wicked city, Corinth was the wickedest of the wicked. Lots of, even the church, when he writes to Corinth, he spends, spends the whole letter talking to the church about how they're messing things up. Even in this city, God has the power to say, nobody's going to hurt you. I won't let anybody hurt you. Now, what is that? That's not a promise for you and I because we know that people have been martyred for their faith for 2,000 years. <laughs> But it does tell you that when you do face persecution, when you do suffer, it's because God has allowed it for a purpose, doesn't it? Because right here, he proves. He's going to prove. Before we get to verse 17, he's going to prove that he has the power to make sure that nothing happens to Paul. Make sure that nothing, no one hurts him, no one lays a finger on him, doesn't even, doesn't even have to answer for what's going on. He makes sure that it doesn't happen. So it should give us some encouragement to know that, and it, I think it would have Paul too, if, if God, if God is, is powerful enough, and he is, we know he is, to say, look, nobody's going to hurt you. Then we know, we also know that when suffering does come, when Paul gets thrown in the Philippian jail, when Paul gets beaten, when he gets laid out on the rack in Ephesus, we're going to see that next in chapter 19, when those things do happen, it's because God has allowed it for a purpose. We don't know the purpose. I, I don't want to hazard a guess as to why. That's not for us to say. But we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. So He promises them here. He says, look, nobody's going to hurt you. Stop being afraid. Don't be silent. You continue to speak. And the reason why He says stop being afraid is not because, Paul, you're so smart. Paul's a very smart guy. Not because you have the greatest education. Not because you have the best arguments. Not because you're a strong guy. Not because you are so resilient. He says, because I am with you. He says, don't be afraid. 
Behold, speak, or but speak, and hold not thy peace, for because I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. He's saying, he's saying, I have people that you need that, that are going to come to faith in Christ. Now, if you're Paul, this is kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a strange. I mean, it's a promise from God himself, so I'm sure Paul believed it and trusted it. And by his actions, he stayed in the city for 18 months, so he did trust and believe it. But I'd be thinking, what? He hasn't been to a city yet where he hasn't been persecuted, where he hasn't been run out of the city or forced to leave or imprisoned or beaten. or, or He hasn't been to one yet where that hasn't happened. I guess it didn't happen in Athens, but he was laughed out of the city, basically, in Athens. And he says... This is, this is turning out worse than every other city. I mean, right now, I pretty much have provoked these Jewish guys to where they're so mad, anything could happen. The leader of their synagogue is converted. The, the new church is right next door to the synagogue. Uh, basically, I've stood up in the midst of their assembly and told them, hey, I'm going to take God's covenant to the filthy nations because God's own people, his own covenant people have blasphemed and, blasphemed and rejected it. He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. But Paul trusts what God says and he stays. He stays in the city. Verse 11 says, verse 11 says, And he continued there a year, six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God to them. And then from 12 to 17, we're going to see this promise fulfilled. And then we'll talk about it. We should have time. Maybe not. Gallio was the deputy of Achaia. That's the region they were in. The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. They brought him to the judgment seat, the Bema seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. He says he's breaking the law by telling people to worship contrary to the law. Don't exactly know if he was saying he's broken Roman law or Jewish law, but more than likely, if you want my opinion, and since you're here, I'm going to give it to you, uh, he was breaking, the Jews were telling them he's not one of us. So he should be forced to obey the laws of Rome and worship the gods of Rome because he's not Jewish. They were bringing, you see, we're going to see that happen over and over again in Acts. We see it, we know that it happened in the ancient world. And so he was basically saying, this guy is breaking the law by telling people they don't have to worship the way that y'all Romans say they have to worship. He's not Jewish, so he's not exempt. He's got a new thing going. And so when Gallio, they brought him before it, and then Paul, it says, verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, I can see Paul going, he was about to give his defense. He was about to do the same thing he had done over and over again. He, you know, I can imagine in his heart, he's going, well, here we go again. Here we go again. I know what's fixing to happen. I'm either going to be beaten and forced out of the city or I'm going to be imprisoned or whatever. But he starts to make his defense. And before he can utter a word, before he can utter a word, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O oh, you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. He said, it, it, it would concern me if this was a matter of wickedness in the city or, or you know, actions in the city. He says, but if it's a question of words and names and of your law, then you look to it. For I will not be the judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. I, I get a picture of them. You know, they probably were arguing with him, probably saying, look, but you don't understand, whatever. He had to drive them out. So Paul is like this. He's standing there and he's going, 
All right, I'm going to have to give it the fence. So he takes a deep breath in. This is kind of my imagination, but he takes a deep breath in to give his give his defense and gets himself ready. And before he can even utter a word, Gallio dismisses the case, drives the Jews out. And it says, and then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, which was the new ruler after Christmas, uh, became a Christian. Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of these things. So think what happened. God promises nobody's going to hurt you. I've got people in this city. And Paul, it, it comes, winds up just like it had always done. Paul's about to give his defense. And right before he can say a word, Gallio dismisses the case, drives them out of the, th- out of the synagogue, and they end up beating the ruler of the synagogue. If he was the ruler of the synagogue, he would have been the mouthpiece. He would have been the one bringing the charges against Paul. And so think about this. God says nobody's going to hurt you in this city. And what happens is instead of Paul getting beat like it always happened before when these charges were brought, Paul doesn't have to say a word and is freed. And the guy who brought the charges is the one who gets beat. Now, do you see the providence of God working as he fulfills his promise to Paul in this saying, look, nobody's going to hurt you. And Paul's like, well, I don't know how that's going to work out. And it works out so that Paul's not the one that gets beat, but the accuser is the one who gets beat. Sosthenes, yes. So the Greek rulers of the city... Roman. Roman. Had the Sosthenes beat? No, they didn't have him beat. It was like a mob. Um, there is it's some question about whether the Jews actually beat Sosthenes or whether it was... When it says Greek, it means Gentiles. So, I mean, but this... Corinth was a Greek city, so there was Greek people living in it. Uh, it says that they took him and beat him. So it's, it's either one of two things. Either the crowd of Jews that came in to beat him, or, I mean, came in to, to uh, testify against Paul, actually beat the ruler for the way that this thing turned out, or the crowd of Gentiles, the crowd of the Greeks that were around listening to the thing, when, uh, when Gallio dismissed all this, he had to drive them out of the deal, and the mob just got a hold of Sosthenes and beat him. So it wasn't as if the ruler said, beat that guy instead. It just happened. It was, a, it was like mob, uh, it was a, a wave of, of mob violence, and they grabbed the ruler, the, the, the one who had been speaking, the one who was high profile, they grabbed him and beat him. And interestingly enough, I can't prove this, but if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the very first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul, Paul is later writing this letter to the church at Corinth that he came from, it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and who? Our brother? Sosthenes. Sosthenes, yeah. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Now, I can't prove it's the same guy, but it sure makes sense that he would mention him, doesn't it? So imagine that. This guy later, this guy, the ruler of the synagogue that got beaten, he later, I mean, this is, this is my opinion, he later became a Christian. He later was converted. So Paul not only converted Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, but the next guy that became the ruler of the synagogue, who they ended up beating in front of the council of Gallio, he became a Christian as well. And so there's a few things you need to see here. The gospel is going to do its work. There were people that blasphemed. There were people that rejected. There were people that tried to bring charges against Paul in Corinth, just like they did in every other city. But there were also people that believed. There were high-profile people that believed. There were people that 
would believe in the gospel that you would have never thought would ever embrace the gospel. Crispus and, and Sosthenes were rulers of this, the synagogue there. There's no way that they'll ever be converted, and yet you see it. You see it. And then the, the second thing is that the second thing is that whatever is whatever God's providence is for your life, whether it be to toil every day like he did with like Paul did with Aquila and Priscilla, or to actually face severe persecution or trial, suffering, whatever it is, uh, God is the same thing we said last week. God is powerful enough to uh, to stop it, and He knows that it's going to happen. So if it happens, if you do face persecution and trial. It's not because God has left you or God has somehow just forgot about you. God is intimately involved in his people's lives. And sometimes it involves trials and sufferings and and things that go on. You know, uh, uh, we said last week, you know, I'm more scared of a world. People ask if if a tornado hits your house, you know, they ask, you know, how could God be in control of something like that? And allow that to happen. I'm more scared of a world where God doesn't know it's going to happen. And whoops. I'm scared. I, I wouldn't leave the house in the morning. If something could happen outside uh, of God's purpose. Do I understand his purpose? No. Do I understand why things happen the way they do? No. I, I don't even pretend to hazard to guess why. But right here in this city. God demonstrates that when he makes a promise. He's powerful enough to keep it. He says, nobody's going to hurt you in this city. Nobody. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Gallio, he, he dismissed the case before Paul even had to say a word. Is, I, I've been, I spent the whole time talking. Do y'all have any questions, any comments? Cries of outrage? No? Does it tell you anything when you understand that Paul was... Wasn't just persecuted, wasn't just beaten, thrown in jail, but... There was a time, a good period of time, that he just he just toiled every day, just had to work every day. He loved the gospel gospel so much that it wasn't just about being beaten for it; it was about mundane, day in, day out, working for it. It was being doing whatever it takes, doing whatever it takes in order to get it out. If it means I got to go work as a tent maker every single day and sweat and labor and all those things, then you know what? That's what I'm going to do. If God called me to do this, then that's what I'm going to do. Even if it's not no glory in it and it's not no praise in it and it's not no um, nothing in it, I'm going to do that. He was willing to do whatever it took. And the second thing, the third thing is that he trusted. When God made a promise, he trusted it. I mean, I. I can imagine Paul thinking the same thing I think a lot of times where I say, I mean, I know you said this, God, but I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, I, no city had he been to that he hadn't been persecuted, beaten, run out of, laughed out of, whatever, except this one. God made him a promise, and God's faithful to, to fulfill it. Thank you, baby, believed. You know, I get beat. I imagine he was. I imagine he was. He, he He's going to leave this city and he's going to go to, uh, to Ephesus. And we're going to see something really amazing happen in Ephesus. There is definitely a riot that goes on in Ephesus. Yes, sir. Wasn't it David that asked God to let his enemies fall in their own trap? Uh-huh. It's in Psalms. It sure is. And it's basically what happened here. They tried to snare Paul. Fell in their own trap. That's exactly what happened. 
I, it would have it would have sucked to have been Sosthenes, to been bringing charges and you yourself gets beat. Is there anything else before we go? Okay, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done for us and this giving it to us. We ask that you would be with us during worship and that you would. Uh,